Are we going to at some point change the podcast description to say Ethan and Greg talk about video games for an hour? <laughs> and occasionally themes and, themes and other things. <laughs> but mostly video games. Okay, follow up. Greg, what happened with your PS5 that you got delivered last time? Yeah, yeah. Brief update on the PS5 is that I've received it. Uh, and it is now connected to my television. And the first the first game I bought, the first thing I did as soon as I got it turned on and set up was buy Demon Souls and install it. So I've played through Demon Souls. I did one playthrough, uh, and it was a lot of fun. And the PS5 is definitely a huge improvement over the PS4. It's just a lot snappier. Things actually yeah. work appropriately, like the PlayStation Store. Uh, I, on the PS4, it was just like notoriously sluggish and sometimes wouldn't load at all. And I haven't had that problem on PS5. Interesting. So you don't think that was related to the age of the PS4? That was actually just like an always, always problem with PS4? I mean, maybe age had something to do with it, but I think it was just an always problem. Uh, along with the PS5 launch, I noticed that they also updated the the playstation app which was also it was more reliable than the ps4 but really was not very good Hmm. um now it's a huge improvement so i feel like they've they've done some major overhauls yeah how far are you in demon souls i'm all the way done with it i'm all the way done wow yeah how long has it been two weeks Uh, yeah yeah I, i think i beat it i mean beat it is a not the correct way to talk about it. I completed a single playthrough. There's still yeah. a lot about the game I haven't seen or done. I did a. I but com- you. Is there like a final boss? It's linear enough that there's a sense of having completed it? Yes. Yeah. Seems like you finished it. Okay. Right. I guess for me, as like an avid fan, a hardcore fan, I don't feel yes. like I'm actually done with the game. I just think I've finished my first playthrough of the game. I probably will play it again on uh, maybe a higher difficulty like a new game plus difficulty uh, or maybe make a new character because it's an RPG. So I invested in particular stats at the cost yeah. of, at the opportunity cost of not doing other ones. So uh, the other, you know, I could play it again and have a different experience that way. So but, were you victimized by the thing where when you die, things get harder? Yes. Yeah. That would be, that's one thing I forgot that I wanted to bring up was when we talked about it last you mentioned uh, you saw on youtube on girlfriend reviews yeah on girlfriend reviews yeah yeah i think they mentioned how they had uh this experience of dying a lot and then the game progressively getting harder and punishing them and i went through the same thing i actually went through the yeah. exact same scenario like it was in the same place Did you get the same guy yeah and he was a <laughs> real real jerk it was awful i mean i actually just had to abandon the area for a while and like go do we can get into a little bit of of the demon soul structure i could probably take our whole podcast to just talk about demon souls um so i want to i want to share just enough i don't want us to go too far down the rabbit hole (laughs) (laughs) so cut me off i go too far but uh in the game there are different locations and they are separate from one another they're they're independent of one another Mm so dying in one zone uh, doesn't affect the, what they call the world tendency, what the game calls the world tendency, in another oh. zone. Okay. And the area I went to, uh, the one, the same one that where Girlfriend Reviews experienced the same thing, is an area that can catch you off guard a little bit early. The enemies there, they, they're quite strong. They hit really hard. 
Um, so if you're not careful, you can end up dying a lot. Uh, is what happened to me. And as I died in more often in that area, the game got harder and harder. Um, and it started spawning new enemies. And until it, it spawned what it's called a red phantom, uh, mm-hmm. which is like the most difficult enemy, computer enemy you could fight in the game. And uh, I, I tried, I don't even know, maybe like 10 times to beat him. And I just wasn't successful at all. So eventually I just quit that. And I was like, I'm not going to go through that area until I'm much, much stronger. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I came back. I went and like, I went and completed two other complete warp like areas, like all the way through to the end, beat the final boss of those areas and then came back. And it was still a real challenge. Like I almost didn't win still, uh, which was really funny though, because it created this strange balance issue where once I finally did overcome this enemy, the first half of the whole world was a cakewalk. I yeah, was way okay. overpowered because I, yeah. I mean, it was actually a great feeling because I was a, I was just in that mood where I'm like, you know, I want to destroy everything. This place has caused me so much trouble that I do want to just wreck everything here. Uh, yeah. But it, it, I don't know. It's like, if you want to analyze it as like, is this a good game design? I'm not quite sure you could necessarily say that. <laughs> yes. Okay. So this definitely reflects back on our conversation. Last week. Yeah. So I could go on. What? But that's, that's well. If you just had to say yes or no, like, would you have preferred the game to have that mechanic or not? What would you say? I would say yes because it was in the original, and it's notorious in yeah. the community for being a game mechanic. In this one specific game, it probably won't be repeated, uh, at least not like in a Dark Souls from Software yeah. game. Well, definitely not a Dark Souls one, but like, even I don't see foresee it happening in From Software in a long for a long, long time. So I'm glad it was there just so that I could experience the game how it was originally designed. But if they were to, I don't know, re like add in, they won't do this, but if they were to have added in the ability to turn that off or just modified it in a way where it was like, you can play original, like you can play the way it was built originally, or you can play like the updated version where we've like fixed this in a way like it's still there, but it's modified in a way where it's not so punishing or whatever. I would have been open up yeah. to that too. Just because in my, uh, as I like analyze the game, I'm like, I can't, it's funny cause I answer yes, but I'm like, I can't really like fully support this because it is such a weird <laughs> mechanic. And what's funny too, is the game is designed to have you go in and out of these different levels of world tendency from like being, pure white is is like one one end of the spectrum to pure darkness and it's actually when you look into how do i move this around right if i wanted to control my world tendency what does it take it's really not straightforward it's kind of convoluted um and well i thought just dying would bring you towards darkness is that not correct it's not quite right but it's close which is <laughs> goes back to what I was saying. It's kind of convoluted. It's a bit strange. You have to die in human form, which means you have like your entire health bar and you can summon other players to help you. Okay. So the real punishment is dying when you are human. And if you die in human form, you cause the tendency to go black. Okay. But this is very complicated. Already, exactly. Yes. It's silly, right? It's like, the reason I created, like, I got to pure black was I kept 
you have to consume something to become human again. And I kept doing that because I was like, I need my whole health bar to get through the area, which is the exact, like, I guess, trap you're supposed to fall into. By doing uh, the thing that you think is going to help you get through it, you create yeah. a worse problem for yourself if you die. I see. <laughs> and to go pure white, you have to beat bosses and help other people beat bosses. But it's not always clear cut of like, I, I like w- exactly the steps you need to take to get to a certain world tendency. When I was playing through, there were parts of the game where I beat the entire uh, region with so multiple bosses in a world without dying in human form, and I didn't get the pure white tendency. Oh, so it's even more complicated. Right. So I guess I would have had to like help other people beat bosses in that world, which, um, you know, there's no instructions. (laughs) There's no instruction about how this works. It's just, you're just doing things and looking at the menu and wondering if, you know, trying to connect the dots of between your actions and what you're seeing. The, 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 the strangest bit of it is that there is content. There's stuff you will only see and experience in certain tendencies and that's the part i really don't like there were parts of the games i didn't even come close to because i would have had to push my tendency either pure black or pure white and then go do something in an area that i've already been i would have had to backtrack so there's no there's no way i would have found it organically i only know about these things because i looked it up after i finished the game so it's really an interesting game like it's an interesting sort of a case study of a game to be like look at all this weird stuff they put in here like what works what doesn't what do you like like some parts of it i like i guess because it creates an interesting dynamic system like you think you know a place and then it will abruptly change on you uh but i also don't quite like it either because of uh like i said it's just convoluted none of it's explained you don't really understand why it's happening and i don't and i don't like that you lose half your health when you die (laughs) <laughs> yes yes i can see why pretty straightforward on that one yeah i'm really i'm really in uh, not a fan of that there is a countermeasure you can take when you're playing the game which is to put on a piece of equipment that instead of losing half your health you only lose 25 percent of your health which is a help it's pretty it's quite helpful so what it ended up being was I never took this off. As soon as I found it, yeah. I played the entire game. And it got so bad that there were times when I was in human form. So I had my entire health bar and I just forgot to like swap this out. So I was wearing a useless piece of equipment. Uh, and, it, you know, I'm probably better off because as soon as I die, I'm going to have to put it back on anyway. So it was just, <laughs> <laughs> it's just funny. Like, you know, it, it it's like you put this work in to create like interesting equipment and gear and you're like nope that slot is reserved yeah. for the the death the death equipment so that when i die it's <laughs> that's what uh, i would be doing too no doubt yeah 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 so hmm. here's my quick review i i liked it i would not recommend it though to other people unless i knew they were fans of the series so yeah. that would be my take on it yeah i really okay. wouldn't i would say like and if you're interested in getting started i wouldn't start with demon souls which one is the one to start with i personally liked Dark Souls 3 the best. Some mm. people are not going to like that answer, um, but I I liked it the most. The reason people won't like that is because the first two games in the series uh, featured a lot more exploration. You could take things on 
in whatever order you chose and things interconnected oh. back like worlds would connect in interesting ways once you get far enough into the game and dark souls 3 isn't like that but for a new player that's actually yeah. a good thing that's yeah, actually a good thing mm-hmm. so that's kind of where my recommendation comes from is you know i think the average player is going to have a, the best experience and sort of get hooked into the series by playing the third game first good to know should i ever get the temptation that's where I'm yeah <laughs> yeah yeah well that's it all right good good time boxing we we actually managed to not get lost on video games although i'm sure we will come back to them later oh yeah well i mean ethan if we're not going to talk about video games i don't know what i'm doing here what's left i know <laughs> yeah but we should do we should do follow up on the themes would you like to start or me you can start okay so not a lot has happened so far um as we talked about last time, even in mid-December, I was starting to think about my theme and had figured out I probably wanted to do morning workouts. So I've mostly committed to morning workouts. Um, dragging myself to do it in the morning is sometimes tough. Not as tough as I remember it being back in college and when I first started working full-time because I think I used to be much more sleep-deprived than I am now. And so now it's like, oh, you know, I can do it. I wake up. I have a nice routine. I wake up and I give myself an hour to read some newsletters and have some water and some coffee and some fuel, of course. Oh, yeah. And then after I've ingested all the beverages, (laughs) then I begin my workout. Um, What I have found is it's hard for me to get myself to do strength training in the mornings. Um, And so I need to find a way to squeeze that back into my life. I don't want that to just go away. But... I think that if I do cardio almost every morning, maybe some yoga sometimes, um, that's probably okay. I don't need to do weightlifting every time. And when I do it, it'll be like a nice variety thing. So I'm trying to figure out what that needs to look like. Um, The way I'm tracking it, I know we talked a bit about tracking last time. The way I'm tracking the morning workouts is I have a task every day that is, um, I think it's, yeah, it's it's 400 calories burned by 9 a.m. That's the goal. So what I want is basically some way to just take out a bunch of calories. And that is really helpful both, whoops. um, That is really helpful both because um, it means that I'll be tired the rest of the day and feel like I worked out. And also because I no longer feel like I'm not close enough to my calorie goal and I'm going to have to do all this more stuff. Uh, So that that has been a big success. Um, Other things, mood tracking. Haven't found anything yet. Um, I found, I heard of an app that would let you do something similar to what I wanted, but then it turned out to be much more fully featured and way more powerful than I wanted. Like it required a subscription and had like a therapy service. I really just wanted like check boxes and how did you feel today? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So nothing there yet. Need to figure that out. Um, apartment decor. I have taken some action on this. Nothing exciting. Just uh, paying more attention to stuff. I'm trying to get rid of old things and also set up my apartment in ways that I like. So I've converted some of the empty shelves in my bookcases to be like decorative spaces. And I've gotten the decorative junk that sits everywhere and filled them up. And that has actually been kind of helpful. And also jumped into a very small project, which is, I'll try to make this very brief, but old stereos, right? They tend to have like a central unit that has like a cassette player and a CD player and a radio. And then uh, speakers that are wired in through just the bare wires, right? So for years, I've been trying to figure out how can I replace the central unit, which is gigantic. I don't play any cassettes. I don't play any CDs. I don't listen to the radio. I just want to pump sound into those speakers. Mm -hmm. I don't want the central part. Um, And I, just being inept in the language of audio, could not figure out what I wanted. Like, the speakers require power, so it needed to be something that supplied power. 
and it seemed like an amp was what I wanted, but then all the amps I found didn't allow you to do bare wires. I didn't know what bare wires were called from speakers. So this took a fair amount of research and eventually I just stumbled into something, which is a tiny, tiny little box that does exactly what I want and allows bare wire connections. So then I wired that into one of my Amazon Echoes. And so now I can play sound through Spotify, through those speakers with no giant central unit. And oh. that has been nice too. So let me back up here. Mm-hmm. Well, one, I just got to say, I like how you introduced this topic. <laughs> you said old stereos, right? Like <laughs> you've heard of them. <laughs> you've seen them. <laughs> they are clunky. They're old. Like it started, it started almost like an infomercial. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm trying to get people to help themselves buy these tiny little boxes. It's an infomercial for this company. Yeah. So let me make sure I understand the problem here and what the solution is. You have an old stereo system that you only want to use the speakers to wirelessly play music through. Correct. You don't want the central... I don't even know what you call it, deck I don't know in the center yeah. of it. So you have found a product that allows you to just use the speaker parts of an old stereo. Did you take the speakers off of the stereo? Do you yes. still have the entire stereo? Yes, it's sitting on a table by itself in my living room. So the central part is now devoid of any speaker. And yes, it is obsolete. Got it. So yes. you just now have two... So this was, you did you do this as an exercise in like learning more about electrical engineering or was this like, I really just want to repurpose this old thing. I just would have thought it would be easier just to pick up a speaker. Yeah, I probably could just buy a new speaker. So my, uh, I should step back and say, I have several speakers in my apartment. I would like to be able to play music from them in unison because it's, I don't, I don't want to buy complicated products that need to be wired across my apartment. I also don't want to buy like $200 Sonos products that do the syncing for you. It seems silly because Amazon is selling Echoes probably at a loss and they will do music syncing for you. So if you can find a way to connect Echoes to, to speakers that are loud, you can get this effect with a $25 device plus the speakers. Why can't you just play it through the Echo directly? It doesn't get loud enough. It just kind of sounds bad because the echo dots are tiny, are tiny, you know, they're tiny little discs. And actually, it's not horrible, but it, it does sound kind of tinny when you get the volume pretty loud. So you're... It doesn't play much bass. The the two things you want are both the syncing of the music, which the echo provide, but also reasonable sound quality, particularly yes. at higher volumes. And to do yes. that, you're hooking in a speaker system. Correct. It doesn't need to be great sound quality. It just needs to be acceptable. Like the echo alone right. is not good enough. Okay. So that's that's where I went with this. So it used to be that I wired the echo into the stereo system, had to always have the stereo on, and then that would broadcast it into the room. Got it. I didn't like that solution. If the power went out, I had to turn the stereo back on. Plus the stereo was just always on. It was giant. It looked bad. So yeah, now I found it's just called an amplifier. So this is where my lack of knowledge about audio was a problem because all i wanted was an amplifier a powered amp but then the problem is that many powered amps don't uh accept bare wires from speakers they need a special kind of a 
plug. Or or so I thought. Maybe I was even wrong about that. But I couldn't figure out if other ones would accept this. And then finally I found that this one does. Okay. So I got it all working today. So now I'm going to order more of those tiny little amps. They're like 20 bucks. Um, because my apartment is wired with speakers built into the walls. Which is weird. And that is weird. I can. Yeah, it's very weird. <laughs> in each room. And they need to be powered as well, which is really weird because that means that there's no way they could ever have worked without a powered amplifier. Mm -hmm. Like you couldn't just plug an audio cable into them. So now that I've figured out how to solve this problem, if I order another, then I can also pipe music through the speakers built into the apartment. And then it'll be like two nice speakers in my living room along with a speaker in the wall on the other side. And I think it actually would sound good. Okay. Okay. So this is part of the part of the general home improvement, making my home a place I like to live. Right. But also it's interesting. So it's ties back into the theme because you're controlling your environment more. You're making your And I'm getting rid of this giant stereo that I Right. Two birds, one stone. Excellent. Yes. So that was that was just a a minor project for today. Other than that for decor, I really need to set up some curtains. I have uh a window in my bedroom that lets a lot of light leak in and so i really need to just buy a curtain rod and install it i have no idea how to do that not very handy but yeah. it's on my list i was gonna <laughs> as soon as you said curtain i shuddered because i'm in the same position really? we have two large windows and one of them re- lets way too much light in it just there's like blinds on the windows but it's actually two separate blinds that meet mm-hmm. in the middle but the middle has yes. like just i don't know half an inch of space and that's way too much <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah. it lets light in but i too don't know how to install curtain rods because i've never it done be an adventure it. greg we'll have to we'll have to do a follow-up just on that yeah that's probably my next big project i also did a bunch of organization around the apartment but that's not exciting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but important but important but important so i think that's my theme update i'm trying to think i i would really like to do some tracking um but yeah for now for now, it's going okay, I would say. Actually, it's been a pretty good year. Um, the the leniency on exercise has been useful because on Sunday, I was just like in the mood to do something totally different. I didn't work out in the morning. And then I just went for a run and just like, it felt like just ran forever. I'm not usually a big fan of running, but I think having less structure in my routine and not having run for a while, it was like, okay, I'll just, you know, not push myself and just run as far as I want. And I, I saw a bunch of downtown Chicago, which was pretty cool. Nice. Nice. Well, it sounds like it's going well to start. I wish you luck in finding a mood tracking app. I'm sure there's dozens of potential solutions. I might be either building a tiny little script to do it, or I might just be writing in Vim. I have honestly considered both. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. Okay. Well, I can give you my update now. So I have refined my theme and... When I say refine, I mean I have just dropped the financial and intellectual components that I talked about the first time, and I'm focusing okay. solely on health. <laughs> physical health. Physical health, you're right. Um, physical health. So the reason for this change is because I was sort of working through what I wanted the theme to be, and I could even tell when I listened back to our last episode where we talked about it. Um, I could just tell then, you know, that I wasn't really solid on, on what I wanted this to be. And as I thought more and more about it and I started to think, how do I incorporate a tracking system around it? And what am I going to do in terms of changing 
any daily routines, I realize like, you know, the primary thing here is health. That's what I really actually care about. These other things are important, but they're just important for my life in general. They don't need mm-hmm. to be a part of this theme. I'm just cluttering the theme up um, and taking away my focus from what should be uh, the primary thing I, I think about, which is the health part. So when I made that decision, that helped declutter me, my mind mentally, like around what this theme should be. And with that, I was able to uh, sit down and think, what does the season of physical health mean to start? And how am I going to track it? And what I've done is I've gone ahead and set up a Notion page for mm, myself, okay. which serves as a template. I actually also incorporated a weekly a weekly review component in this too. It's what the Notion document is is my weekly review. The first thing I'm reviewing is how did I do on my physical health gotcha. this week, and then everything else is just your standard, you know, getting things done weekly review. Mm-hmm. But this is actually really helpful for me because I've been dissatisfied with what I had in place for my weekly review uh, up until now. I felt like I need a change for a while, but I've just been sort of lazy and, and delaying delaying making that change. What I had before was set up in Todoist, and it honestly just didn't work very well uh, for me. It wasn't easy to collect a lot of detail if I wanted to do that for a p- particular reason, nor was it easy to instantiate a new week's review. Yeah. Um, How did you do it in Todoist? So it, I borrowed a template that I found on the Todoist website to start and what it did was break up the parts of the review into sections Mm -hmm. Uh, so the first part would be like declutter like empty your email inbox gather up any paper documents and you check these things off and then the next section would be like you know how did things go what did you get done what are you waiting for what are you going to do next where would you write that the uh the way that i was doing it was collecting it in like the comments of of tasks oh yeah okay but it just never worked properly i have slowly over time like modified what i how i used to do is i wanted it to be like my everything tool for a long time and that just doesn't work i would not recommend that approach with todoist uh so what i've since done like i said is go to notion instead Mm-hmm. Um, and Notion had a template as well, which I started with and then modified. Yeah. I also use Notion for my weekly reviews, so I can understand that. Yeah. The, the Todoist approach sounds interesting, but I think I would struggle with that. Not having like a longitudinal document-based view of what right. I've written down. Agreed. No, it never worked properly for me, really. Um, the hardest thing with Todoist is, and this is, goes beyond just a weekly review piece, but it's the... Uh, instantiation of a of a template i feel like never works the way i yeah. want it to um which can be really challenging to use it for anything repetitive like this it feels more like to do this is really suited for this is a one-time task or it's a very infrequent to do maybe it comes up once a month uh but this isn't something i return to weekly nor do i use it to you know actually gather information which was what i was trying to do and it just never yeah. worked right never worked right so you know going back to the to do the notion document that i put together so like i said the first section is like i'm going to review my physical health and that takes the form of first asking open-ended questions like 
what went well and where are there opportunities for improvement. And then the next part is a collection of data um, around how well I actually did that week in a quantified way. And what it is is actually five questions that I can check off and say I did this thing. But each of these are like specific pieces of information. Like did I log my did I track my meals five out of seven times this week accurately? Mm-hmm. And so they're quite concrete, like they're very specific goals of what I want to actually accomplish or like what I want to do that week. Um, so I think having this as like the first part being more open-ended where I can just put my thoughts and my feelings about how it's going along with these really specific, uh, you know, measurable goals of, am I actually doing these things and seeing how those two line up? I'm interested to see what effect it has. Yeah. Okay, that sounds sounds like a good plan. Have you have you decided what you're going to like are you using any metrics that aren't self-recorded? Are you going to look at like what's on your Apple Watch in terms of calories burned and stuff like that or is it all just counting what what you did? Yeah, it's mostly counting at this point, but I expect this to change over time as I find different pieces useful or not. So, these questions won't remain constant, I don't think. I don't yet have or I haven't considered thinking like going to the Apple Watch or that the health app and using metrics that are collected there. But I don't think that's a bad idea. I think that that could be really helpful. Um, I thought about using those for my for my uh, year of health and fitness, but the problem was that they're just difficult to extract. Um, so in any automated way. So it would be one thing to say, like, how many days did I hit my calorie goal? But that's about it. I didn't want to be copying down my exercise minutes or my calories burned each day. Right. Right. I agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, I haven't found the health app all that intuitive to use, frankly. Yes, I agree. So it's unfortunate. So along, so that is like the tracking side of things. The Yes. You know doing side of things is i've i've gone ahead and um purchased both a nice yoga mat nice uh which prior to that i was using the lime green one that we both have that's still the one i use (laughs) (laughs) that is very funny yeah i i strongly recommend an upgrade for you if you're using that regularly it's really yeah really i use it literally every day Oh, yeah. Um, You should upgrade. It's actually, you know, so I purchased this online and I'm like, uh, I kind of like waffled on it a little bit. I'm like, do I really want to buy this yoga mat? Like, that's how I've done it with yoga mm -hmm. mats. I'm like, oh, it's so expensive. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And then it came in the mail. Right. And I like unbox this thing and I'm like, I grab it for the first time out of the box. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, this feels nothing like my wow, yoga really? mat. yeah i mean it's totally different oh and you'll have to share it with me then because i might i might pick one up yeah and then i pulled i pulled it out and it is like significantly weightier mm. than it's not like heavy but it just has this weightiness to it where you're like this feels like really high quality material yeah. and then on the one side it's like this kind of a sticky surface so when I, the big problem with that green one that we should have. So slippery. So slippery. My hands yeah. and my feet slide like crazy. 
this will not happen. I was testing it out today and I was like trying to like move my hands around. Um, wow, and, that is what I need. Yeah. yeah. And then the other side is somewhat, It's it reminds me a little bit like the green material. It's like closer to that. So the one side's like this flat, matte stick surface and the other side is like softer, a little bit squishier, um, a little bit like rubberier surface. So I got wow. that. And Sounds I like a big upgrade. Yeah, I know. And I don't do yoga. Like, I mean, I'm going to do yoga, but I'm like not a yoga person. So I never understood really what I was missing out on until now, until I've held like an actual yoga mat. I'm like, oh my gosh, like yeah. whether or not they should be like extorting me <laughs> in terms of price, <laughs> <laughs> I can't yet answer. But uh, anyways, yeah. So I got the yoga mat and that was desperately needed because most of our apartment isn't carpeted and... Even when it's carpeted, I want to use a yoga mat most times. Um, yeah. But especially when we don't have carpet in the primary when we're working out. So I had to get that. And then I got a pair of adjustable dumbbells. Oh, nice. Very exciting. Yeah. So that has Which an arrived. did you get? They are the Core Home Fitness brand. Okay. I think I've seen those. Yeah. I have the Bowflex one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I looked at the Bowflex ones as well. Um, but yeah, I got the Core Home Fitness uh, version and they're not here yet they probably won't be for a couple of weeks um but i'm looking forward to getting them so that was like a concentrated or a a strongly considered like piece like thing i'm like do i get these uh dumbbells don't i do they actually fit in my apartment where would i put them how would i use them and after thinking through it all i was like i really if i'm serious about this i have to have a pair of dumbbells i just have to um that was the hardest part of 2020 um, for me was, was I'm, uh, um, when I work out it norm, I find the most success when it comes to lifting weights. That's just been what I've naturally gravitated to, uh, my entire life. I'm not a fan of cardio. I've never been like into, um, uh, like hit based workouts or cardio based workouts or yoga. I do those things, but they aren't my first choice. And they aren't the things that get me excited uh, uh, for physical, like, activity. So after really thinking carefully about it, I finally decided I I have to do this. So I went ahead and made the purchase, and I'm really excited. Yeah. Yeah, congrats. I think it's really good to be able to figure out, like, what are the things that will make me work out more? Yep. And if weightlifting is the thing to do it, yeah, then it's totally worth spending on dumbbells. Yes, agreed. And I know it's it's interesting – as I think about it, it reminds me of um, CP2 Gray, who we talk about frequently, and his experience with working out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I had I have always known that I've liked lifting weights. It's just I've just always known that since I was a teenager. Uh, but for CP2 Gray, if I remember correctly, he sort of found it much later in life, and he always like yeah. sort of shied away from it. Because he was like, that's the hard part of working out. Like, that's the intense part. And when the, after he actually did it, he was like, oh, no, this is, like, the best part. This is, like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it doesn't feel like cardio does, like, torture. <laughs> but it, you still feel like you're getting a good workout and you're getting in shape. And I'm like, yes, yeah. exactly, exactly how I feel. <laughs> yeah, I do. I do often agree with that. I have personally found that I just go in phases of what is most tolerable to me. That's true, too. So, uh, yeah. That's true, too. I'm trying to get more tolerant of that and just do whatever the current phase is, and then when I get bored of that, I'll go to the next. Mm -hmm. Right now, I think it's definitely cardio. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I have phases, too. 
uh, but probably to a lesser extent than you, I think. Like my phases when it comes to cardio are normally focused more around a particular activity. Like I've never been a fan of just doing cardio for cardio's sake. Like I'm just, I don't know. But we used to play basketball a lot together, and like that at that time, I was really into cardio. But it was not that yeah. I was into cardio; I was into playing basketball. Yeah, I get that. I don't know if anybody. Well, no, there definitely are people. But yeah, I am not into cardio. But it's <laughs> just I just find whatever sounds least terrible when I'm thinking about how to work out that day. Right. I gotcha. I gotcha. So I have those things coming. In the meantime, while I wait for my dumbbells, I'm uh, you know walking outdoors much more. Uh, getting up for morning workouts, which are cardio-based at this point, um, which has actually been hard for me because it's sort of uh, really, you know, breaking bad habits and getting into good habits of, of getting up earlier to yeah. do a morning workout. But I'll work through it, and I think it's starting off uh, starting off well. I feel like I've set myself up for success uh, in the early part of this, like, I feel like I have a plan, like I have a game plan now, whereas before I didn't quite have that. So yeah. 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 Nice. Okay. Well, it sounds like it is going well and you have a, I think you're a little farther along than I am. So I'm envious. Well, we'll have to check in again soon. I didn't, I was the one who took apart a stereo. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right. Should we move on to our real topics for today? Pest follow-up. Let's do it. Okay. I can uh, I can start us off with um, a couple a couple video game and video game tangential updates since that hits on some things we've already talked about. So it's funny when you were talking about um, Demon Souls and you said it's a very good case study for video games. Well, speaking of case studies for video games, I have found this YouTube channel called Game Makers Toolkit. Yeah. And so I clearly, I I saw in the show notes that you know this channel as well. So this is the second time this has happened. Um, But yeah, I've been consuming all of the content. And for listeners, Game Maker's Toolkit is targeted at people who make video games, which neither Greg nor I am. But, you know, it is done in such a way, uh, the content is, is conveyed in such a way that it really is just interesting as a consumer of video games to think more deeply about how they were designed and the the you know the content goes anywhere from like how plots are told to specifically what are the mechanics around like how enemies see you in a video game right so what yeah one that i saw recently was how guards in a video game have a particular cone of vision but it's a little more complicated than that because they should be able to perceive you if you're right next to them even if you're not in the cone in front of them and so all kinds of things like this are covered and even not as a huge gamer, I still really appreciate thinking a little more about how these things were designed and how they're done. And even some computer science concepts have come in a couple times. So there were allusions made to a finite state machine in one of the videos, which is actually like an old, I, don't, I shouldn't say old, I mean, it's still used, but it's computer science theory around how you keep track of what state something is in. Um, so it was, it, it's been really interesting and I've just been voraciously flying through it in all of my downtime. Well, that's awesome. I'm really glad that you found How did the you channel. discover it? I think it was just suggested it to me. YouTube is so curated yeah. for me at this point because yeah, I've same. put that's too much time into it. Yeah. yeah, so it's it's basically figured out this guy really likes video games, among other things. But yeah. if we recommend a video game like video to him, you know, there's decent chance he'll click on it. And they showed me Game Maker's Toolkit, which they like really got me because as you've already described, like 
it's a great intersection of a few of my interests. Like I'm really interested in video games, but I also really like to analyze and dissect things. So it's the cross section of those two. Um, I think that I think the content that he makes is really, really good. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really thoughtful and interesting. A lot of the concepts that he brings up around game designs are things I was unfamiliar with or had not uh, really understood, but had experienced. And when he mm-hmm. walks through and it describes like how things and, and sort of compares and contrasts different games to one another and how they've implemented different ideas, uh, it really helps you understand uh, at a deeper level the games that you've yeah. played or are going to play. Yeah, I'm a really big fan. I, I like it a lot. Yeah, and also it, it makes me appreciate how much work goes into them. Like, there's just so many aspects I hadn't considered. So, sure, somebody needs to design the characters, and then somebody needs to design, like, the physics engine. But then there's just so much more complexity beyond just the physics of the game. There's how different characters are programmed to react to things around them because yes. the computer players need to be someone intelligent. How the puzzles are made. Um, how the games are tested. That's uh, something I never considered. And he talks about how games are tested to see if like, is the game too easy or hard, especially puzzle games or the puzzles too hard at different points. Does the difficulty spike at any point? Um, yeah. It, extremely interesting. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that he, the, the, the channel game makers toolkit along with introducing these ideas gives gives vocabulary around how do you yeah. talk about and analyze a video game, which is really helpful, I think, to even just consumers. Because then you start to understand what it is you actually like. And then you can mm-hmm. start to identify the aspects of video games. Like, I know that this type of game really clicks with me. So that when you see a new video game come out, you can understand better whether or not it's actually going to match your interest. Yes. I totally agree with that. And on that note, um, when I watch channels like that so even donkey I, I felt this way about sometimes where he would show games sometimes i think that is a game that i would like or those qualities of a game are something i would like and one that has come up quite a lot on game makers toolkit that i had never heard of is called hitman and basically so you're nodding so it sounds like you're familiar basically it seems you are an elite assassin and you have to sneak into places and assassinate people and Knowing that is, uh, to me, that sounds really interesting. That sounds really interesting because it's not high pressure in the sense of like shoot 'em up, gotta move fast and stuff. Instead, it's stealth, careful planning, and apparently the game emphasizes replaying things to yes. see if you can do the assassination even more elegantly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sounds of great interest to me. And I actually made a note because the next Hitman comes out January 20th, which is just two weeks away. Very cool. So I will probably be purchasing that. Yeah. Nice. I'm very intrigued by it. Yeah, I actually, if I, I recall that Hitman video that he did. And just, he describes, I think it's the first mission. And he, he describes that even if you're an introductory player to this and you don't understand all the systems that are in the game... There are there's half a dozen ways that you can execute that first assassination, and then he goes in to describe how you replay. There's so much replayability, and also special timed events that the developers have put in that occur occasionally. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah. And I've played Hitman. I haven't gotten very far. Uh, it was given. Which one? I think it was the first one. I think it was the fr- okay. it was I think it was a free game at some point so I picked it up. I think you're in the name in the game you play Agent 22 
Something like that. I think that. it's 47. Oh, okay. Okay. It's agent number. That's what it is. You're an agent. Uh, that's like, the, that, that's basically the background you get. You don't get much else. Um, and then you're given like a document that describes your target and you're going to infiltrate a party or uh, a meeting or an event or whatever. And I remember playing through it and it was really an interesting game because you're given a very specific objective and that's it you're just let loose and like the environment feels quite real like there's a lot of people walking around talking you'll hear background noise you'll see caterers walking through and then if you want you can like knock out a caterer and take their uniform and now you're a caterer so then you can like get closer to the target and when you get to the target it isn't like you just pull out a gun you have to like observe them see what they're doing try to eavesdrop on them so there are a lot of systems in the game. Uh, so it's like easy to understand at the start, but there's a lot of depth. So you mm-hmm. can go really deep and get uh, gain a lot of experience in the game. It sounds like a really intriguing puzzle game. And another thing that I look for in games is a sense that it's not about like your physical manipulation of the controls, but instead thinking through carefully what you want to do. And another thing I like about those games is they they are really good multiplayer games in the sense of like you can sit there with a friend and both talk through it and take turns doing it but it's not like a big deal at who's at the controls yep it's more about like solving the puzzle of what should we do here yes so i do like to have games like that because multiplayer games that are competitive are fun as well but it's nice to have some of these ones that are more schemey and like let's pause and think through this and talk through it yeah yeah no you're right about that you're i hadn't considered playing like sort of a couch co-op uh mm. version of hitman but that actually sounds like a lot of fun like you just take that's turns my and, intention yeah, yeah i think that that could work well i don't know if the game does a thing where if you're too slow i imagine there must be like there's got to be some end state where you fail the mission if you let the target get away so there may be some pressure there which maybe, could be fun maybe, if you're yeah. like you know things aren't going very well and you, <laughs> you too yeah, are like it, yeah yeah yes yeah. so that now the thing I have to say is you now have to go watch the donkey video on Hitman. So he did a video. Oh, I don't think I've seen this. Yeah. I don't, oh, okay. it's not a video essay. It's more of just like yeah. fun video, but it's really good. And it's really okay. funny. There are some classic to me, classic donkey moments in there <laughs> because <laughs> okay. he'll, uh, yeah, he just knows the game. Well, maybe not well, but he like pushes it really like, and it's great. Yeah. So I'd watch it for sure. All right. All right. Well, I'm very excited to play Hitman when it comes out, and I certainly will consume the Dunkey video <laughs> first. But this is a new one, so it won't spoil anything for me. Correct. Hopefully. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, but, um, you know, avid listeners will recall that I was going to play Cyberpunk, and I do have an update on that. And it is basically that between not being that motivated to play it and being very busy, I just really have not played it at all. Um, well, I guess the third factor as well is that I was away for two weeks for Christmas. Um so, and, and it's on my PC, so I didn't really have any way to play it, but even since being back it's, and before I left, it's one of those things where I keep thinking, oh, it would be fun to like relax and play a video game tonight. And then the time rolls around and either I have stuff to do in the evening and feel like I should knock out like real tasks or I'm like, eh, is that really what I want to do? Mm-hmm. Like, I could kind of rather sit here and read a book or I don't know, right? You know, just waste time. Um, cyberpunk has just not really hooked me it's not bad and it's not fantastic either it's just like okay i could imagine playing that some more but i'm not dead set on it and honestly there haven't been any issues i had 
one serious bug and that's it the main issue is um it is so 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 laggy if i run it at um full resolution right i have to run it way down and it looks terrible when i do that which Mm -hmm. is disappointing because it looks great when i scale it up so in order to actually be able to shoot at all which is key to the game (laughs) you have to run it a lower res yeah yeah i've been or i haven't recently but when the the game had come out i followed the news and what became the backlash against the game and how poorly it performs in it. I think you may be doing yourself some favors inadvertently by sort of waiting on this because I expect in the next couple of months some major updates that are going to improve the performance on consoles and and PC. Yeah, they've announced that they have a... uh, They're expecting in the first quarter, probably March, I, I guess, to release a substantial update too hmm. especially for the console version which was like abysmal yeah. it's really like i you know it's a broken game you shouldn't even be allowed to ship a game that's that broken um but even for the pc too because uh there is a, another youtube channel that i've watched occasionally called skill up and he does he does some thought pieces like video essays on on games and but he did a review for Cyberpunk, and he has a top-of-the-line system. Like, he, I think it was, he said that Steam ranked his system in the top 1% of all computers with, a, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> with Steam installed, because he, yeah. he has an RTX 3090, just like the top-end right. card that you yeah, can right get. Yeah, right there, now. yeah. And he said that uh, it ran well, but it did also chug at times. Like, he would see frame rate drops... Um, when he's not doing anything, it looks absolutely incredible, but at its, at its peak, like when you have the most action on the screen, he said it could occasionally chug, which if you have that powerful of a graphics card, it's literally the best consumer card you could get. Uh, and you have scenes where you're dropping frame rates and you're experiencing issues, uh, performance issues, let alone bugs, which he did experience. You can't, you know, everyone's going to experience those at some point. Uh, you need to do some optimization. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> so okay, well then maybe I will hold out longer and Hitman will tie me off. Yeah, yeah, that's a good plan. Hmm. I like the Hitman style game too because you just can hop in for a quick mission. Yeah, like you wait your time. You're like, oh, I just kind of want to relax. Like I just want to chill out for the evening. And Cyberpunk strikes me as a game where you get like more invested. You're like, I'm about you gotta to get sucked in. Yep. I think that's the only way it's fun. I've noticed that too. The couple times I've really had fun doing it were like four hours sit down. Exactly. But the one hour is not. Right. Because one hour you're still trying to remember like what are all these different menus and what am I even doing and who are these people? Yes. And there's that. And yeah, and you don't make much progress in the plot because there's just a lot of little. I, I still find the controls clunky. Maybe I'll get better at that, but that makes me really slow. And I'm like looking at my inventory and I'm looking around and I get nothing done in 30 minutes. Yeah. And you can play through a whole Hitman. You might even be able to do two missions in 30 minutes, depending. Oh, really? On how, oh, yeah. I hope so. Okay. Yeah. Well, I remember when I played, I didn't understand what the game was. <laughs> yeah. So I like went through the first mission and it was like done sloppily. Like I found the guy and like I waited around for a couple of minutes and I was like, no one's around. And I just murdered him. <laughs> Yeah. But I like people found the body really fast and I got a poor grade, <laughs> but yeah. you can do it quickly if you want is the point. Like it's, you know, sort of up to you. 30 minutes, I feel like would be a long mission, but yeah. I don't have much experience with the game. Okay. Well, I'll report back. 
the way you said that reminded me very much of Among Us, which I've been playing more of and has been so fun. I have I have uh, spent a lot of hours in Among Us recently. Well, I was going to ask, we have to, are we going to bring Among Us up? Because we played Among Us together. We did. That's true. We did. Yeah. Who else was in our group that time? I forget. Some uh, more people, right? Yeah. Just a handful. I don't even, I'm not sure. I don't even remember exactly who it was. Yeah. Uh, but it was intense. It was it intense. Was intense. <laughs> so that was the first yeah. time I'd played Among Us. It's the only time. Have I've you played. played since? Oh, only I time. I haven't. Okay. Yeah, I'd want to again. Uh, yeah. I'm really upset though that they don't have a Mac version of the game. Oh, it's so frustrating, right? It's it is so... the most simple game. It looks like a Game Boy Advance game. Yeah. It's like why can this not be played on a Mac? I, yeah. Oh, I, I actually bought it. I bought it on my Steam account and then <laughs> oh, tried to install it and it was freaking out. And then I was like, oh wait, you know, there's no Apple logo here. <sighs> yeah. So I had to submit for a return which Steam was cool about, so that's nice. Oh, that is good. Yeah, I've been looking into getting a Windows VM on my Mac, but my Mac is out of storage, and I'm waiting. This all calls back to several other things that have happened on this podcast. I'm waiting for them to release a MacBook Pro 15-inch mm-hmm. on Apple Silicon, Yep. and then I'll buy more storage space, and then I could dual boot Windows if Windows actually works on that. So I'm a long way away. It may not, it too. Computer. It really might yeah, not. Exactly. Well, I guess you know Apple did say that the... ARM version of Windows would run perfectly fine. It's up did, to... Did they say that? They did. It was oh. Tim Cook. And oh, he okay. said it's well, up to Windows. He said, you know, it's up to Microsoft oh, whether well. or not they want to they want to let this op- their operating system run on, our, on the computer. All right. Well, hmm. Yeah. I guess... We'll I don't know if that gives you any comfort or not, but yeah, they not said it was possible. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah. Someday, I guess I'll be dual booting my super powerful Mac just so I can run... Among Us, Among the us. simplest game I've ever played. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they have to be, well, I can't say have to be. They have a really small development team. It's only three people. So, Is that true, Among Us? That's my understanding, yeah. Oh, wow. It was built wild. with only, only three people made that game. Uh, kind of shows. <laughs> it's a great idea, but that's fair. not impressive. You know yeah. what's incredible is just the ratio of like number of people who worked on a game to the enjoyment is like there's no signal there uncorrelated yeah nor like the polish of the game either of like how well it it runs or how good it looks or whatever the one that comes to my mind is the best example is stardew valley yeah one guy right one person one guy for five years just built an entire world entire game every system he drew every picture he wrote all the music he wrote all the dialogue he just did everything and it's like, it's incredible. Like it holds up. I think it's gonna be a timeless game. People will be playing Stardew Valley in twenty years. Yeah. Yeah. It's because I mean it's uh, sprite art, which ages well. I think. Like yeah, I don't. If true, you're playing yeah. a sprite game in twenty twenty, it's like you're not you're not here for the graphics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You don't need your RTX for this. Yeah. Exactly. So it's funny you bring that up though, because I, you know, I've thought a lot about that same concept, but in in more of like a traditional software development and data science sense, just like thinking about our jobs and also just like general industry because, and and I've converged on sort of a similar view where the best situation really is a single person working on something for a very long time. Like all of their time is dedicated to this and they work on it for a long time because I have, I've not given enough thought to this to be able to articulate it well, but let's see if I can try to explain My sense is that as you add more people, of course, more time is spent communicating. That's natural. And I think everybody accepts that. So it's this sense that like nine people is not nine times faster to get something done. It's instead, it might be like four times faster. 
But in fact, I think there's a lot more that goes into it because as teams scale beyond four or five, also the vision is diluted to the point that really what you're doing is trading around like documents and communicating through management. And so you're not really working on the same thing. Everybody's building a bunch of little stuff that needs to fit together. Nobody is really on the same page. And the way you're on the same page is by emailing people and asking, like, how does this work? And then getting your stuff vetoed by upper management who's like, ah, but this doesn't work because it doesn't fit with what my team does. Right. And so instead, really, when you get these large teams, yes, they can build more stuff, but the cohesiveness is totally torn apart. And I feel this with almost every big video game I've played too. I have thought a little bit about that where it's like the story doesn't really make sense. Like different people are being employed. There's turnover on the writing team, but on other things that you use too, I don't know, just a lot of things that I use that are just solid and sensible. So like to do is a good example. I think their development team is very small. Yep. Um, and it's like, yes, it shows. It's like, I know what SAP does, but they can't crank out as much stuff. Right. But then you also get like bloat. And I think Microsoft Office is like super bloat. It's just a million people have worked on this forever. They've had so many man hours, but there's there's just such trade-offs involved. And then also you see these things that crash and burn. Um, Cyberpunk is a good example. They always have tons of people working on them because it's, re- I assume, because it's really hard to keep everybody on the same page building towards a single mission where you might have been better off with like five people working on it for a few years. Right. I get what you're saying. And in large part, I agree with you. But I will raise a counter example from the gaming space yeah. that it proves that a large team can work, but it, it doesn't make it easy. And the yeah. game is God of War from, I think mm-hmm. it was 2018. And if you haven't played that game, I highly recommend it. It's incredible. It's one of my top games, I think. And over a thousand people worked on that game. And it feels like it was made by a single person. Wow. It's just the story is so cohesive. Like all the different systems in the game work together. There's no obvious missed part there was no like it it, it's just a great game it runs well it looks great it's fun to play the story's really interesting and compelling the voice acting is incredible the music's incredible and i think it really comes down to why that game was a success as as some people think it's it's really it's management and it came down Mm -hmm. to the creative director of the game uh, just had a really, really clear vision. Um, he's like, this is what God of War, what this game is going to be. It's going to be yeah. a father and son story. It's going to be in this setting. These are all the major notes we're going to hit. And this is going to be the art style. And then everything went through him. And yeah, he would kick stuff key. back. Yeah, one person gets to decide. Yes. Yeah. And he would kick things back and he would go back to his art team. And he'd say, you're close, but you're not there. And he'd go yeah. back to the music and be like, you're close, but you're not there. And he would just work it and work it. Um, and yeah, so that's like an example of a large team creating a piece that feels like one person worked on it. That's probably the exception and not the rule. Yeah. Well, you know what that sounds like the way you described it. It sounds like Steve Jobs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where it's like, you can't, you just cannot have these cohesive products built by large teams unless you have a single, very strong visionary who has ultimate control. Right. And I don't think there's very many people qualified to be that. And I actually don't have a very high opinion of Steve Jobs in general, but I think that he did pretty clearly organize things in such a way and push a vision in such a way that he did make products that were like, oh, this all fits. It feels like one person designed this. Mm-hmm. And lots of people contributed. Right. 
Yeah, so I think this is far beyond games. But that's interesting about God it of is. War. I have not played the new God of War. Yeah, yeah. It's well beyond games, for sure. You're absolutely right. I think that there's applications in every you know, type of work, whether it be commercial or artistic. If you have a large group of people working together, it's how do you, co- how do you effectively bring together all the disparate parts of the work that's being done and make it feel like a single individual did everything. And you're right that it takes a single, I mean, I don't want to say that's the only way that this can happen, but it certainly feels like the best bet is to give a single individual who has a really strong vision, the ultimate say of yes or no. And you also got to be incredibly patient and yeah, uh, yeah, that's, that's hard. That's really, really hard. Um, you know, it's easy to say like, well, you know, I just need more time or we just need more time. It takes another year or whatever. But I think that the CD project red cyberpunk example kind of shows like that might be true, but cyberpunk was in seven years of development. Yeah. It had lots of time. <laughs> so it, it had a lot already. of time and it yeah. got delayed. And when you have stakeholders and people who actually have money on the line uh, who are invested in the company asking what's going on. Why is yeah. a game that's been built for seven years, not done yet. Like you either have to need to have really good, strong answers or like, yeah, I guess you release a broken game or a broken yeah. product. I don't know. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, well, I don't really know if I have like, I think it's an interesting topic of discussion. Certainly something that crosses my mind uh, from time to time of how do you, effectively organize and, and communicate and work together as a team because i agree with you uh, where you started this was saying like if you feel like the best the best product is going to be developed by a single individual who has a lot of time to work on it and it's the only thing that they work on i agree with that for the most part like i i i, I think there's a strong argument to be made that a structure like that is going to uh, in the end, produce the best product. But it's really about trade-offs is what it comes down to. Yes. So how much worse is the product going to be and how much faster am I going to get it out the door? So if it's only a little bit worse, but it's a you know half the time, like most people are going to make that trade-off. Or how many additional features can it have? Right, yeah. right. Yeah, I guess when I say worse, I'm like thinking more in that video game context of like what's the what's the critical what is the um, critics consensus on like how well was this game executed but yeah you make a good point it could be features it could be additions or like new uh functions like stuff that you could have left on the cutting room floor but you added another person to the team so it could get done yeah i mean i think that it actually goes back a little bit to the history of unix which is a a weird (laughs) reference but I, i do think that part of what made unix and bell Labs successful was they built a lot of really small tools that did one thing like that was the <laughs> unix philosophy it was uh write tools that do one thing and do it well and i think the merits of that are that the tools are clearly finished when they're finished and individual people can work on them end to end and that makes for really cohesive experiences it's very clear how something works the design philosophy is the same throughout in a way that it just cannot be in teams of more than a few people. Mm -hmm. And so if you build a bunch of really modular things, it necessarily forces you into coherent philosophies on each of those things. Right. That makes sense to me. It's harder to do that in games. I mean, I think it's it's interesting because Game Maker's Toolkit even talks about how, like, 
good games, the art, the music, the even like the mechanics all contribute to the story theme. Mm-hmm. Like it's all related. What is the idea of this game? He talks a lot about Mario Odyssey and how that's all about the hat. And then everything else in the game is designed around the hat mechanic. Yep. And so I think it's almost impossible to be truly modular in that sense where the, even the person designing the physics engine or bad example, cause that necessarily is tied in with the hat, but even the people designing the artwork of the landscapes, right. they need to be, or the music, about, like, or the music. Yeah. yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think that's a good example from the gaming space. Like when uh, Mario Odyssey is a good example. And I think really just, uh, some Nintendo games in general around the Mario space for sure, uh, are, are kind of known for staking the gameplay on a single mechanic or item and like building everything out from there. So it has like a solid foundation. You're like, how does this thing that we're building now? That's like maybe a few levels up tie into the, you know, quote unquote hat. And if it doesn't clearly, or if it doesn't work correctly with it, then it's not done. And that's a good, I think that's a really helpful grounding place to have, which is hard. Sometimes projects just don't have that where you're not quite grounded on something to actually understand, like is the direction we're going in, get us closer to, you know, what the core idea of this was to begin with. Yeah. 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 So that is a unique challenge of game. So I'm sure we will see lots more of these major flops, sadly. Oh yeah. I, I think, I think we'll definitely see more of them. I think it's, somewhat inevitable that a big studio like cd project red like has a title that comes out that is less than stellar i think they'll recover i think they'll recover you know a benefit of having a large team a lot of people is like now all the problems have been identified because before this game was under wraps and they were probably aware of some of this stuff but i bet they weren't aware of a lot of it because it's a massive game it's a massive game and there's just you can't you can't really understand how broken your game is until you give it to millions of people. Yeah. <laughs> Man, it was so funny today. My very favorite newsletter has been off for maybe six months. The author went on paternity leave and I was in the middle of something else today and an email uh, notification popped up and I was like, the newsletter is back. So of course I switched to it immediately. And the first item in the newsletter that's been off for six months was Cyberpunk 2077. <laughs> because kind of the shtick of this finance newsletter is he finds funny finance news to some degree, like things that can be spun as entertaining in some way. And he was apparently there are shareholders of the Polish company CD Projekt mm-hmm. that are suing because the company made out the game to be more finished than it really was. And it is killing their share price. So they're suing for a securities fraud. That's interesting. Yeah, it's actually pretty common. This is a recurring theme of the newsletter that in many cases, just when companies do dumb things, they get sued for securities fraud because uh, the shareholders, well, the share value drops and then the shareholders allege that they were deceived and deceived. the company should have told them the, the share price was going to drop. Right, right. Uh, what do you know what the success rate of this litigation is? Uh, actually, it's it's in the newsletter and it's covered in some detail that there was a study done. There was a study called Everything is Securities Fraud, <laughs> um, or rather a paper called Everything is Securities Fraud. Yeah, which is a recurring theme of the newsletter. Um, but somebody at Duke wrote a research paper on it. And the success rate is not terribly high. It was like in the realm of like 10 to 30 percent. I forget where. Um, 
But what was examined specifically in the paper was that in cases where the, the people, the people most directly harmed were not the shareholders, like the buyers of something. Yes. Um, they, those cases were actually more successful, not less weirdly. Interesting. So yeah. that doesn't bode well, bode well for, uh, yeah. CD project red. Well, also companies take out insurance policies against these kind of lawsuits. So often the companies don't pay them themselves is my understanding, which really messes up incentives. That is strange. Yeah, why? What is your incentive not, not to, to commit, commit security, fraud? security fraud? I have Except insurance. Your insurance company will increase your rates. <laughs> rates. Basically, it's like getting a car accident. Yeah, yeah. That seems like a real problem. <laughs> yes. I'm surprised you can well, this, sell insurance for that. It is weird. I should go back and look at exactly how it's done, but um, it came up because uh, something similar. I'm trying to think exactly what the situation was. It was something similar that Elon Musk did where he made claims that were misrepresentative and got sued by, um, well, how did that work? I think it was the SEC came after him, but the insurance that the execs pay actually paid out. And I think the same insurance applies to these security fraud cases, though I should look. I'm trying to remember the phrase that describes this type of scenario. Where yeah. you're, why does the phrase escape me? You might need to cut all this. Is this a moral hazard? It's a moral hazard. Gosh, that was like, ah, that really bugged me. <laughs> <laughs> it was like on the tip of my tongue. Like, it was like my yeah. brain was like circling around it. And I'm like, I know Frankly, what it is. I, always, I know what it is. <laughs> I always forget what a moral hazard is. So I just threw out the one word that I always forget the meaning of. Yeah. The moral hazard uh, is you, I might explain this poorly, so. Yeah, check. I'll check before you publish this. <laughs> Sorry. So the mor- the moral hazard is, in layman's terms, you've set up a really bad incentive structure. So the classic example is, well, one of the classic examples is the 2008 housing crisis, where a lot of companies were over leveraged and made a lot of poor decisions leading up to that. And then when they hit hard times, the government just bought their bad debt, which is a moral hazard. So what's to stop me from going out and just doing this again? You've shown me that the government's the backstop. And if I make too big of a mistake, you'll come in and clean up the mess. That's what that insurance feels like to me. And insurance is where (laughs) insurance is often deals with moral hazards. So like buying car insurance at all is a moral hazard. So once I own car insurance... The incentive is that I drive riskier because I'm protected. Yeah, exactly. Just driving <laughs> off bridges left and right. Right. Yeah. Well, exactly, exactly. Um, so that feels like a real moral hazard. I, uh, it's a, it really <laughs> I agree. it surprises me that you would even. Um, I see now. I'm doubting it, but I do think that's a thing. Certainly, it it is sold in many cases where executives are liable to be sued. Because also of note is, if you're a shareholder. Why sue the company whose stock you own? Because the you know the money being paid to you is just being paid out of their vaults. Yep. Um, which That's what I was confused about money. it too. Yeah. I'm surprised like the shareholders would sue the company. The you you are suing yourself. You're a part owner of this company. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I looked confusing. up the definition here. Moral hazards occur when an entity has the incentive to increase their exposure to risk uh, because it doesn't bear the full yeah. responsibility of that risk, the full cost. Um, and it says right here, for example, when a corporation is insured, it may take on a higher risk knowing that the insurance (laughs) will pay the associated cost. (laughs) Yeah. There you go. (laughs) I'm not surprised. I'm not like, 
I'm surprised to hear that that exists, but then when I think a little bit more about it, I'm not that surprised. I'm yeah. not surprised that insurance uh, companies were like, hey, well, let's just insure these people from getting sued by their stakeholders. That'll probably happen sometimes, but for the most part, <laughs> they'll make out like bandits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's as long as long it's basically asystematic, right? Yeah. Yeah, asystematic risk. But I think it's not. That's part of the problem. Yeah, I don't know what the insurance pool looks like on that one. Do you yeah, get put in either. like the high, the high uh, securities yeah, you, <laughs> fraud bucket if that you're probably CD probably is true that there are companies that they classify as like far more likely to do this kind of stuff yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i don't know I, now that my finance newsletter is back maybe i'll be back with more information it's been too long i've gotten rusty on my knowledge you know i actually got that same newsletter too i think i oh, subscribed really? to it after because like you had recommended some newsletters and then i subscribed to that one and never saw it so i was like oh, i don't yeah. know what's going on and then I got the email today, and I, I didn't actually read it, but I saw it. I was like, I'm back. And I'm like, I didn't even know you weren't here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, if, if you get into it, let me know. The, for anybody listening, the newsletter is called Money Stuff by Matt Levine. And he is an ex-Goldman. Um, actually, I forget what his position was at Goldman, but something in equities. Um, and now writes very... Uh, very humorously i would say about the finance industry and weird things that happen but also i have learned an enormous amount from it it is probably my favorite thing that i read well i will definitely check it out let you know what i think all right well we went we went far down a tangent there but uh we started on video games and you have a note here a new game has taken over my life (laughs) you want to share uh yeah so i'm looking at the time here we're at 115 so yeah. if we talk about this, we might not get much else out. So I wanted to stop there. And... It's okay with me. Okay. Yeah, so I will tell you about this game. It is called Hades. Have you heard of this game? Okay. It sounds familiar, but I might be imagining it. Okay. So I'm going to pull up some images because I think it might help tell okay. you, show you a little bit about the game. Are you going to send these to me over text? I'm just going to share my screen, I think. Okay. If that is maybe easier. What do you think? Sure. Let's try it. So Hades is a indie game that was published by, I think, Supergiant Games earlier this year. Or maybe, yeah, this year. And the reason that I got on to it was that it was nominated by some some different uh, publications and groups as being a potential game of the year. And so when I saw the lists... uh, I checked them out and I saw this game and I said, oh, I don't know what this is. What is this? And based on the description, I got hooked immediately. It told me that it was a roguelike action combat game uh, that is based around Greek mythology. Okay. That and sounds interesting. So I might need to break down some parts of that. So I'm going to okay. share my desktop with you now. So what you're looking at is a Google or a DuckDuckGo rather image search for this Hades gameplay. And what you'll see is this is your main character, and he's named Zagreus. And what Zagreus does is he goes into dungeons like these, and he sees the, there, there are enemies here, right? These big red oranges guys. And mm-hmm. you just go in there with whatever weapon you have on at the time, and they have a number of different weapons, like a sword or a spear, and you just beat the crap out of these guys, and you kill, okay. <laughs> and you kill them. And when you clear a dungeon like this, you will get a reward. And some of those rewards make you stronger, and they make your attack stronger, and they give you new skills. So then when you go into the next dungeon room, 
you're even more powerful and you kill eat things even faster. Uh, so it just has this really, really addictive gameplay yeah. loop. And as you dig into the game, you just find more and more rich, interesting components to it, especially around that upgrade system. There are so many different upgrades and so many different synergies between them that can develop uh, that it becomes really addictive to see if you can like make the best build uh, that you can. So these are just some of the images. You can see it's like this, every image in the game is hand-drawn. So all this stuff was wow. hand-drawn and then animated. Um, it looks great. The game, the actual combat is really fun and entertaining. Um, and if that what were... What platform is this? So it's on PC and it's on Switch. Um, but if that were it, like if it just looked good and was like kind of fun to play, I think I would have already put it down at this point. But what's really hooked me is, like I was saying, it's the combination of it being a roguelite, which I will get into in a second, and all of these different power-ups and boosts and things you can get to build out your character. So, uh, yeah. It sounds intriguing for sure, yeah. So, uh, I don't want to assume anything. So, are you familiar with the term roguelite? Uh, Yes, but I actually remember it being covered in either a donkey or a game makers toolkit video. Yeah. But probably. the discussion was around how imprecise it is and how it can mean a lot of things. Yes. Yes. That's a good, <laughs> like a sort of a starting point there. It was probably yeah. covered in both of them. So rogue likes or rogue light. So L I K E or L I T E. Um, they have become very popular in the past few years. And I think there are a number of reasons around that. Um, but what the idea is, is that rogue lights, feature a few mechanics one of them is permanent death so if you die on a run of hades all the power-ups that you have gained are lost you are not going to have them for the next run um and then the other piece of it um is that component of building up your character through the run so the idea normally is you want to escape something or you want to get to the end and beat the final boss that's like the premise of these roguelike games. Um, so you go in and you power yourself up. And the idea is like, I'm going to try to, on this run, make it all the way to the end. And But if you were to die, you go all the way back to the beginning and you lose all those power-ups. The next main component of the roguelike genre is procedural generation. So no two runs are alike. Uh, the rooms are these little mini dungeons that I showed you pictures of. They are late. They they share similarities between runs. Like you start to see similar patterns in the layouts, but the contents of the room, the reward of the room, and the exact layout of the room differ every run. So they change every time. Uh, and that's I think you know kind of some summarizes that entire genre. So it's very vague. It doesn't tell you anything yeah. about the actual gameplay. It just says you experience permanent death. There's going to be power-up system that you can obtain as you play through a run. You're going to get more powerful and uh, gain new abilities. But if you die, you're going to lose all those. And you're and the runs are procedurally generated, so you'll never see the same run twice. So when you're playing this many times, you're start just starting from the beginning over and over? Correct. Have you it not takes, gotten to the end yet? I got to the end once and won. Well, I've been to the end numerous times, but I've only beaten the final boss one oh. time. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And the real, like, secret sauce, I guess, of Hades, there are a couple of things, but there is just a lot of variety in how you can play. So there are six different weapons. Each of those weapons can be um, modified six. from the beginning. That is such a manageable number of weapons. I'm you so would... so jealous of a game that has a number of weapons I can count with just my hands. Right. <laughs> it's funny, though, because you feel that way at first, at least I did. I'm, like, getting into the game, like, and I unlock my first weapon, and I unlock the second weapon, and, like, I start to unlock more and more, and I'm like, oh, like, I'm done unlocking. It's six. But no, no, you're not done. There are different forms that each weapon can take, which... Oh, no. There are four forms for each weapon. So we're already up to 24 variants, right? And then, obviously, as you move through the runs, uh, all the different power-ups are the same. But there's one power-up in particular called... um, It's a hammer. It's a Greek name for the hammer. I don't know. It was a Greek... I have no idea. I I can't remember the name off the top of my head. But it's a hammer, and the hammers are special because they modify your weapon even further. So oh, no. <laughs> exactly. So you can go from having it, it honestly can so dramatically change the way the weapon works that you'll entirely change your playstyle. So I started out with a spear one run, and I got a hammer early on, and the hammer made it so I could throw my spear and do more damage than any other possible way I could do it, and it was really fast. So I basically went from being a close melee combat style to immediately I went to a ranged combat style. And I just threw my spear at everything. Uh, So they're quite potent. Like, they will dramatically change the way the weapon works. Um, So if you add in the hammers, you're you're in a couple hundreds of variants of, of weapons. And it starts with just these six, and it keeps building. And what's really brilliant about the way the game works is you're not introduced to all this at once. It's like a trickle. Mm. It's very slow that you get this information. And you, for a long time, you won't even know most of this stuff is even in the game until eventually you'll do, you'll do something and it'll be like, oh, hey, you know, you can actually see different forms of this weapon and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I would it say sounds ch- pretty good. check out a gameplay, perhaps. See, like, look up a YouTube review, see what you think. I think it's pretty fun. If you're into the roguelike genre, it's um, one of the strongest roguelikes I've played before. There's yeah. another roguelike I really, really enjoy called Slay the Spire. And that one is oh, a, yeah. a deck building game. So you you build your deck up as you work through the game. And so I it's ha- like a card game? Yes, it's a card game. Okay. But it's a deck building card game. So you don't start with a complete deck. Yeah. You start off with seven or eight cards and then each time you win a battle you can it's the same idea here you select from one of a few random cards that are presented to you and you're looking to make synergies and um have cards work off of one another the same way you do in hades that actually sounds pretty good yeah i think the thing that generally turns me off from roguelikes is i like really I like methodical play in general, and it's one of the reasons I like combat to be really easy on games, because combat is annoying to me. Like, I don't... If I do combat, it's like the way I used to do it in Skyrim, where I would, like, get an assistant who would go fight, and then I would go hide in the bushes and shoot arrows from a distance until my assistant died, and then I would have to rush in. Um, That is, like, definitely the gameplay that I prefer. I don't want to be doing the, like, stressful fighting. But deck building sounds more up my alley. Like, if it is a card game where I'm thinking about it, that would be fine. But a lot of the combative games where if you die you go back to the beginning like for me that is just no yes we'll put it down as soon as i die the first time i'm done i get what you're saying 
I totally do. Uh, and I would not recommend Hades for you. It is like, yeah. <laughs> it is a frantic, chaotic game. You are just moving around everywhere. There's tons of explosions and just vibrant colors and attacks. That's the one complaint I have, which is funny because when I first started the game, I loved it. I thought it was so cool looking. Now I'm like, all of this needs to be turned way down because I can't tell what's happening. Uh, and I'm getting hit and I don't understand why because there are 12 different colors on the screen right now <laughs> and I don't even know where I'm at. <laughs> so I wouldn't recommend Hades, but I would definitely recommend Slay the Spire. At least check it out because it is much more methodical. It's turn-based yeah. and it sound, hmm. yeah, it's really good. And I think I, it's interesting as I compare the two in my mind. I'm trying to think, like, which do I prefer, Hades or Slay the Spire? Uh, and it's honestly a hard choice. I think in Slay the Spire, I felt like there was a little bit less luck involved, but every roguelike has luck involved because there's yeah. it's the procedural generation. You just don't know what you're going to see. But with Slay the Spire, you have a little more control and you can be a little more methodical, and I appreciate it about that. Um there has been times with Hades already where I've just had runs where I'm like, nothing is going right. Like I'm yeah. getting all the things I don't want and it's really frustrating and you end up dying early and you're like, that was, that was, why did the, you know, that was not even fun. I feel like that happened a little less often in Slay the Spire. Hmm. Okay. That maybe that is what I should do until Hitman comes out. <laughs> no, don't, don't do this, Ethan. You're going to, you're going to go down these rabbit holes and, and, you may not emerge. This is That's you're playing true. with fire. <laughs> I'm not too worried. I have found, and I've noticed more recently, specifically with Cyberpunk, sometimes I'm just like not in the mood for video games and oh, I yeah. just want to get stuff done. Yep. I really go through phases. And right now I think I'm in the phase of like a lot of stuff going on in life. I, so I teach some classes outside of work and those have gotten, those have abruptly ramped up and now I have a lot going on. And so video games are like any moment that I play video games is just filled with dread. It's like, mm. what am I putting off that I should be doing? I feel so much better if I just knock things out. Yeah. So we'll see if I get some stuff done early, maybe I'll consider it. But for now, probably I'm best off not being too into any games. Yeah, I agree with that. That was the first half of 2020 for me. I didn't touch a single mm. video game. I think that's maybe why I've indulged so much in the second yeah. half. But yeah, I didn't yeah. turn on like my PlayStation for, I don't even, it felt like two years because I just was so busy with other stuff and I didn't feel like I had the time. I obviously did play sometimes, but it was one of those the exact scenario you're describing. I'd like sit down and be like, oh, I need to relax. Like I've been working really hard. I need to relax. I sit down, I turn it, it on and work. I'm like, what am I doing? Like I should be doing yeah. homework and I have all it's this the other opposite stuff. Of relaxing. Yeah. 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 It's just turns into dread. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I had another thought that I was going to share. Yes. I remembered what Hades has introduced me to is the fascinating world of speed runs. Yeah. Yeah. So Hades was kind of built around the idea of like this would turn into a speed run game and mm. see how quickly you can clear a, a, a level and at what level difficulty. Oh. So once you've beaten the game once on the base difficulty, you get the option to turn up the heat, it calls it. And that gives you like 20 different dials that you can turn up and down that make enemies stronger, give them new attacks. Oh. Um, you take more damage. You start with less health. You can do. You can turn all these things. You can change these things in a lot of different ways. And it is just remarkable what some people have already accomplished with this game. Yeah, <laughs> there are people who can beat the game at the highest level difficulty in less than fifteen minutes. 
Wow. And it took me over 30 attempts to beat it on the base difficulty. Yeah. So, and they're like super into finding these little hacks and little ways to make the game faster to try to beat their best time. So one thing they do is uh, they call it pause buffering. So once you've cleared a room, you will sometimes have the option of multiple paths and those paths will present different rewards behind them. So one may be a new power-up from a specific Greek god. One could be this in-game currency where you could buy stuff at a shop later. And one may be health. And what these speedrunners will do is clear the room in a ridiculously fast fashion. And then they go pause on pause, pause on pause, pause on pause. As they're looking at the doors, waiting for the symbols to appear. And as when they appear, they hit pause and then they think about it. Because that pauses the timer in the game. Oh. And it doesn't, it technically is like keeps their time down for their speed yeah. run. So they'll like pause and pause, pause, see the, see the doors and then be like, okay, I'm going with this one. And they unpause and they quickly, as fast as they can, dash through it. Yeah. And they have all these little hacks of like, you should always pick up this power up if it's presented, even if it doesn't work for your build, because you will be able to move faster through the levels. Like you would just gain an extra dash or you move 20% faster yeah, and stuff like that. And it's just fascinating. Like how much of a community and how much uh, like research has already gone into this game to understand yeah. it for a speed run perspective. And that's something I'd never encountered in, in a game that I played yet. I discovered that with breath of the wild. I watched pieces of speed runs for breath of the wild and realized that there's just two, basically there's two glitches that people exploit to the extreme Yep, to skip so much of the game and one of them involves going through walls in a really specific way and it lets you access areas that you should have to do other things first to get to and the other one is bizarrely if you jump on top of a certain type of character and shoot them at the right time you will go flying into the air and just hurtling for miles and miles that's they use it to get across the game that's the one that i saw i looked up a speed run is like beating zelda in 20 minutes Mm -hmm. i'm like how did someone beat zelda in 20 minutes and i saw them do that hack and i was like I didn't even understand what they were doing. I'm like, what the heck are they even trying? And then suddenly they're flying across the map. Like, yeah, it's insane. And I'm like, what, what just even happened? I don't even understand what, and there was no commentary. So they didn't explain what they were doing. Well, it's very funny because so for anybody who hasn't played this game, you're supposed to have a parachute. It's like part of the game. You're supposed to have a parachute, but you don't acquire it until you like talk to some people and whatever, whatever. So everybody doing the speed run skips that. So what they have to do, is execute this particular glitch where they shoot a character and go flying for literally like the equivalent of miles on the game. Yes, yes. And you're supposed to get hurt because you don't have the parachute left. But they also pull this other glitch where if you, I think it's like if you try to pull out your sword at the right time, right before you land, you land safely, yes. taking no damage. So the combination of those two things executed perfectly will work. But if you mess either one up, you well, if you mess the first one up, you waste time. If you mess the second one up, you die right? because <laughs> you hit the ground. Yes, yes. And you never get stronger as a character because you don't do all the stuff that's supposed to like get you more health points yep. and stuff. Yeah. So there's no room for error. It's incredible. It is honestly incredible how... It is incredible. We- I do every time watch and just think, what a waste of time. I can't <laughs> imagine the time these people put into this. It's crazy. And it's also, I mean, it's mostly exploits. It's like the time that has gone into finding these bizarre edge cases. I, uh, you know, it's not like all my time goes to useful things either. So who am I to judge? But it's crazy the amount of time these people want to spend on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was gonna preface. I was gonna preface that too and say like, you know, they find enjoyment in it, so it isn't a waste yeah. for them. 
Right, but I agree. Like, it is just a, a lot of time invested. It is always what I've noticed about the, the the speed runs that I have now like seen. Because once I watch a speed run video, YouTube's like recommended other speed runs yeah. for other games, and I've like peeked at them. And they often involve an exploit that mm. allows you to skip huge amounts of the game, which yeah. part of me is like that's not like with Zelda. I actually yeah. feel I don't feel nearly as strongly with Zelda. I'm like okay. You have found, like, this game is incredibly dynamic, and all of these different systems interact with each other, and you have just found this really freaky interaction that shoots you across the map. If you want to use yeah. that, fine. Because you can, yeah, that's fine. But the other one I saw was, uh, it was Doom, Doom Eternal, which uh, is a first-person shooter. And if you were to speedrun this game by actually playing the game, like, you could probably get it done in, like, a few hours if you were really good at the game. Mm-hmm. But the speed run was done in like 20 minutes and it's because they found exploits and they just skip huge parts of the math and end up at the end. So like mm-hmm. they go into these walls and they press a series of buttons and they jump yeah. around and then suddenly they're way above the map and they have to maintain like a frame rate above like 200. Otherwise the game will like <laughs> crash on them because they're looking at the entire map of the game at once. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, they must have invested in incredible hardware to pull this off. And then yeah. uh, they just like fly to the end and land and then they like hit the checkpoint and it's like level complete and they didn't fight anybody they didn't fight any bosses and i'm like did yeah. you even just play the game like does this even count as a speed run i don't know like i yeah i agree that the the flying one in zelda is forgivable it's like well is this like a glitch or is it just i don't know yes. the combination of the physics yeah. engine and stuff but you're there. still gonna go fight ganon like you're gonna go fight ganon with that's three true. hearts and that's like ridiculous so but i don't know there are similar things though if you if you watch more of a speed run usually people have to go into a couple of the shrines and the way they get into the shrines without talking to the the old man as the character mm. you talk to first and like getting these powers that's yeah is that you do one of these like spinning rolls in a very specific spot on the wall and then you're suddenly inside the shrine that you weren't supposed yep. to get into i remember that so it is a little similar you're right yeah yeah i feel those are very clearly they should not to me be in the spirit of the speed run but also the problem i guess is that this is a blurry line and since there's no central governing committee to be like this is an acceptable speed run it's like anything goes right. because there's no other place to settle on it there is like a loose body that tries to judge these things i think there's a website like game game or something like that oh i've heard a little about this yeah but it's not you know the official body it's not certified they're not gonna like they put some guardrails in place but they don't make you necessarily certify your speed run right like what was your hardware and and check in before you even start the run and all this they don't they don't do that kind of stuff at least i don't think think it was them they caught a guy doing i don't know if it was speed runs do speed runs even make sense yes it does and you're right they did catch them yes yeah well, and, that's uh, uh, I learned about that from Donkey. You may have. So did I. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I liked his video on that because he was like, he 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 pulled up the academic paper. So <laughs> yeah. I'll back up and say, somebody was caught. A famous Minecraft YouTube channel was accused of cheating by modifying the game to give him higher likelihood of rare drops. If I understand, like, the scenario. Yeah, that was my understanding. Yeah, so the game has built-in distributions of how likely it is to get different items. And, like, you need some of the rare items in the late game to make progress. And he had modified, allegedly modified the game files so that his distribution went from being an exponential distribution to being a uh, binomial distribution. So just way better odds of, like, picking up this stuff. And, um... 
they they made a calculation. They were like, for this individual to have gotten all of, because these speed runs are uploaded to YouTube, so you can analyze exactly the drops that they got when they got them, and they they determined that if this person were to have gotten this good of luck by pure random chance, it'd be one in. I don't know, a few trillion or billion. It was ridiculously high. It's like one in a few billion, one in a few trillion, something like that. But the funniest part of the video was he pulls up the academic paper and he's just scrolling through and it (laughs) reminds me of some of the stuff I saw when I was in school. It's like all these (laughs) probability formulas and distributions. He was like, yeah, it makes sense to me. Clearly he cheated. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and then the funniest part to me was, well, there was that, but then also the paper the guy submitted well he didn't submit a paper but he like refuted it and he was like no and he did the math and he was like the chances of this are actually just like one in a couple million it's totally reasonable (laughs) which honestly when you think about it the probability of any individual circumstance is going to be crazy small in many of these so i don't know if one in a million is weird but to get a particularly favorable circumstance being one in a million is unusual yeah you know like the the chance that you have like uh, you see this probability problem sometimes the chances that you have like a son and then your next kid is a daughter and then your next kid is a daughter and your next kid is a daughter and your next kid is a son like that particular order is still two to the sixth Mm -hmm. so like one in 64 even though it seems randomish so any given thing should be unlikely but the fact that it is really good should make you extra suspicious you know what is the probability you have something this good or better yeah yeah you're right you're right and what's interesting too about this whole scenario is the fact that there was an attempt to refute this research when, without doing any of my own research or even looking up this stuff, there is a empirical distribute, like there is a distribution programmed in this game for the drop of this. And I have watched 12 of your speed runs and you get it on the first attempt every time. It's like, I don't need to write an academic paper to tell you that you're cheating. (laughs) Yeah. Like, that's simple. That's really easy. Like, you could be the luckiest person in the world, and maybe you should go buy a lottery ticket, or you've modified the game so that your distribution doesn't at all match what's shipped. The real twist of that whole story is that that guy is one of the people who I have been watching play Among Us. That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently he does more than one video. Yeah, I guess so. Well, he does the two most important ones. That's Minecraft true. maybe, maybe and he'll leave us. in disgrace now yeah <laughs> yeah i think that he uh, i don't know anything about that youtuber i'd never had encountered them uh but it doesn't seem to have any impact on his views uh no. i looked him up and like looked up his like most recent uploads and it's still Ducky millions. even said that he was like no the people refuting this don't understand like this guy's watched by a bunch of 12 year olds they're yes. like awesome he gets the rare items all the time right. how cool right yeah. you're like that's what i want to see i want to see the cool speed runs where everything works perfectly and yeah. like yeah and i w- it, yeah totally yeah people the, the 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 target audience don't care and it's yeah. a video game like who really cares but it is funny um just like the whole drama around it i suppose and the intersection with a few of the other interests or things I'm aware of, like statistics. Yeah, stuff. it was fun. Yeah, it is. It is cool when it actually crosses paths with probability theory. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that about does it. Yeah, <laughs> knocked out a lot more video games. Well, other episodes, more video, more games. video games.